but there's so many unique things to Hawaii that we're so proud of and everyone likes to brag about it. <laughs> That's why you're doing this podcast about local local, right? <laughs> Welcome to Local Fairy Tales. I'm your narrator, Nora Vetter. What is a local fairy tale? It's the story of a fair, F-A-R-E, that can only be found in certain regions, states, cities, and so on. Each tale will be told with the help of the voices that know it well. Historians, creators, servers, festival organizers, superfans, etc. Today's featured fair, Locomoco. You just heard from TV personality Lanai Tabura. Now, let's meet the rest of our Locomoco tale tellers. My name is Jason Shin, born and raised here in Honolulu, Hawaii. And Greg and I had written together for Frolic. Greg Hoshida, born and raised in Hawaii, contributing writer on frolichawaii.com and honolulumagazine.com. Arnold Tiura, writer and food historian. I presently live in Hilo, Hawaii, where I was born and raised. Dean Shigeoka, owner of White Guava Cafe, born and raised in Hilo. Audrey Wilson, currently a food writer for the Hawaii Tribune Herald. I've also written several cookbooks, and right now I'm helping my son who just opened a restaurant called White Guava Cafe in Hilo. Lanai Tabura from Lanai City, Hawaii. I guess everyone calls me a TV personality now, and I think I'm just an entrepreneur and a hustler. <laughs> I'm George Takahashi, and you're listening. And you're listening to... Listening to the local... The local fairy tale of... The local fairy tale of Locomoco. Fairy tale of Locomoco. Tale of Locomoco. Of Locomoco. Greg Hoshida, and you're listening to a local fairy tale of Locomoco. You know, Locomoco, it's one of those things where you feel like it's been around forever. It's part of, living in Hawaii, it's part of your food DNA. It's, it's unique in the sense that there's not really anything else like that combination. And it's inexpensive. It's always been fairly cheap. Um, Locomocos usually are one of the cheapest things on a menu, so I think that appeals to a lot of customers who have budget drinks. Yeah, if you're paying more than ten dollars for a local moco, it's probably too fancy. It's very filling. It'll, it'll carry you through the day. I would say kind of similar to like a Englishman's breakfast, right? It's it's unapologetically heavy. It's unapologetically fairly basic in its construction, and it's never going to be fancy. You know, in in its humble origins, is not anything fancy, and and nor should anyone expect it to be. Some of my earliest memories of a local moco were seeing. You see a lot of construction workers or utility people. You know, guys who wear the orange vests eating a local moco in the back of their truck. Uh, and that's that's a very iconic picture in Hawaii of or si- sitting at a counter, um, you know, just you know, pounding down a local moco where you have to go before you have to go out to work at seven in the morning. That's a very uh, iconic thing to see. So how would you explain it? You're getting really good rice, gravy, burger, and an egg. It's just four things, rice, hamburger patty, brown gravy, and an egg. So one of the reasons why I order a local moco is to me, it's the perfect test 
for any restaurant. Kind of a perfect dish that is easy for restaurants to reproduce because they already had gravy on their menu, egg available, hamburgers. It's one of those things that appeals to a broad audience. It's a hamburger patty. Somewhere in between a hamburger patty and a meatloaf patty. Somewhere within that that spectrum. If you go with a straight hamburger patty, like a 60-40 ground beef and pork, it's going to be a little too firm. right? You got It's got to be a little bit more meatloafy, have some panko in it, um, some nice seasoning, onion powder, garlic powder. What I also like too is I like a lot of bread in my burger. I like a more softer burger. I like it, you know, the ingredients sometimes, like I put oyster sauce, I put salt, pepper, a little bit of ketchup. I put breadcrumbs. I put a lot of breadcrumbs. But that's the way I grew up eating it because there was a restaurant on Lanai that we ate local mocos or hamburger steaks from called Tiny Gawas. They were around forever. My grandparents ate there. My parents ate there. And their burgers were really soft. So to me, that's the ultimate burger. Yeah, if we make it at home, we, use, we do a local style burger patty. The, the all beef stuff is too dry. All of our hamburgers here, when we make it at home, uh, has bread, egg, and onions in it. In Hawaii, we have like a special, almost like a meatloaf sort of patty that everybody has their own special recipe that they're going to be adding sometimes some onions and if they're going to be adding some panad to it or eggs or all of these different things are going to be added to make it their own special patty. You have to have a really good burger. And, you know, there's a lot of old school places here on Oahu that do the, I call it the old school traditional way. And that's a crispy burger on the outside and soft on the inside. So when you fry it up, it's, it's a little plumper. It's a little juicier. It's not, a, it's not an all-meat burger. On rice, you know, we're a rice-eating culture here in Hawaii. So the traditional style is hot rice. It has to be medium grain, a little bit sticky, because that's the way the Hawaiians like it. It starts with rice, and rice is a very contentious issue here in Hawaii. As to how to cook it. Do they wash it properly? Do they add the correct amount of water? Does it come out fluffy? Is it sticky? You know, there's a lot of questions about the restaurant that can be answered by just how they cook their rice. If you ask me, uh, yeah, it has to be white rice, right? Not No wild grain, no brown rice, no pilaf. White, medium grain, Japanese, medium grain rice. The rice is so bland and purposely so. It's like, you know, in any kind of Asian cuisine, you have a bowl of white rice or plain rice, and then you have something that's highly seasoned and you eat it with the bland rice and the two together makes for a nice balance. I think the local is part of that where the gravy flavors even the bottom portion of the rice. You're not left with rice and no seasoning. You know, the thing that made that dish tasty was the gravy, the brown gravy over the hamburger. I feel like the local moko is just a vehicle for getting the gravy in my mouth. You know, you could have a good burger, but you have junk gravy and this is my personal opinion now, and, but you, you know what I mean? Because you can bury that not-so-good burger in good gravy and perfectly cook rice. Gravy all over everything. Then questions about gravy. Do they use pre-mixed from a powder, or do they make a stock and make a traditional demi-glaze-style gravy? And the gravy is not fancy either, just brown gravy. Not even, not even meat gravy. Not even red-eye gravy, not a Bernays sauce, not demi-glace, just brown gravy. And quite often, it's it's the McCormick powdered stuff because for restaurants, they like to produce gravy from scratch on, on a large scale because this is a very popular dish. Yeah, there's places where it's in the normal language, say, oh, I'll have gravy all over. 
and they know what you mean. So they'll put gravy all over it, where it's dripping off the side of the plate. Really, when Locomoco comes to mind, straight ahead, patty over sticky white Japanese rice and gravy all over and an egg on top. I have always ordered it over easy, but for Instagram, a sunny side up looks nice. And if I'm going to do the sunny side up, if I'm cooking it at home, I'll get my cast iron skillet or, or a wok like screaming hot and like super high temperature oil. And then I want those edges crispy. And I think that's a very Asian, uh, like Southeast Asian Chinese thing to have that super puffy, crispy egg. I just love that. If you're looking for photo ops, then generally the sunny side egg is going to be the kind of the quintessential for the photo op. The whole breaking the egg thing is for Instagram. It's however you want to eat your eggs. Some people like scrambled. Some people like medium hard. Some people like over easy. Some people like sunny side up. Whatever turns you on is the way you should eat it. There is no right or wrong way to do it. Yes, the original version was a sunny side up or over easy egg. If you like yolk, some people don't like yolk. Some people have high cholesterol. You shouldn't be eating the yolk. I've seen people do it with egg whites. It's really a matter of personal taste. I mean, you know, you could have it scrambled or whatever. But to me, the beauty of the egg is really to have the yolk run down into the gravy. And the yolk becomes part of this messy <laughs> but tasty concoction. The egg runs into the gravy, the gravy runs over the burger, the burger seeps into the rice. The best part of eating locomoco is when you bust the yolk, you know. You bust the yolk and it's running all over the place. I like sunny side up because I like that runny yolk. <laughs> and then the egg, for me, it has to be sunny side up. I'm okay with over easy, but it has to be a liquid yolk, uh, something that you can cut into because the yolk itself provides more sauce to the gravy. It provides a luxuriousness to the gravy. If you go to scramble, you just it just becomes another protein. But if you have a sunny side up or if you have an over easy, now you have protein and a sauce. So to me, that's where the difference lies. And that's that's where, for me, that's where the line is drawn. The yolk has to be runny. And, you know, on a fried egg, it makes everything delicious. And then finally, whether or whether or not they know how to treat an egg. That's one of the big questions because some restaurants, you know, have a really tough leathery egg. Some restaurants have like a beautifully cooked, delicate, soft egg. So for me, that really helps us to determine generally what the rest of the food in the restaurant is going to be and taste like by just trying their locomoco. And that's part of the reason why I like going and trying their locomoco. I probably order it most often at breakfast, but you can get it just about any time of day. It's become a very popular breakfast item because they get their egg, they get their rice, and they get their protein with the hamburgers it's a breakfast meal it's a brunch meal and it's a dinner meal the mac salad is how you differentiate a locomoco breakfast to a locomoco lunch and dinner and that's yep. the definition if it's with mac salad then it's lunch or dinner if it's there's no mac salad it's breakfast and one of the things the key ingredients to a good locomoco people always forget is you need a good mac salad if you don't have a mac salad with your locomoco don't even eat it you got to have a good mac salad on the side because that mayo just goes well with that gravy. Generally speaking here, like if you have a mac salad, it's going to be called like a local deluxe or something. Um, everybody has their own special name for it, but generally most places in Kilo, especially if you just order a local moco, it doesn't matter the time of day, you're just going to get that. But if you get the local deluxe or local special or local something additional, then you're going to get the mac salad or the 
side dishes, basically. So in Hilo, it has nothing to do with time of day um, as far as breakfast or lunch. The mac salad would go nicely with the bokomoko. I think as a side dish, it's fine. But two scoops of rice, macaroni salad, and an entree is what we call a plate lunch. Here in Hawaii, that's very, very common. So the fine line between plate lunch and locomoco, to me, is depending on how you serve it. So if the, if the locomoco itself is in a bowl and then you have the side of macaroni salad, that's great. But if you're going to put it on a plate with rice, two scoops of rice here, scoop of macaroni salad here, and the hamburger in the middle, it's a plate lunch, not a locomoco to me. It's not critical. It's not a deal breaker, though. You know, you, you add it on and, like, I would put the gravy on on the mac yes. salad too. Yes, gravy on mac salad is really good. That, that, you, that, you would think we're Canadian, you know, with how much gravy we, yeah. we eat. That tail end, when you get that tail end of a little bit of mayo, mac, and a little gravy runned over with an egg yolk, that's a perfect bite. That really is. Some people like to mix their mac salad all in the gravy. You know, some people just put mayo on top of their local moco. I break the yolk, but I don't mash it all up. So... Like I said, the beauty of it, you don't have to work that hard because the yolk will automatically run into the gravy and and seep into the rice. So you just kind of just kind of have to eat it. Just one story. I used to buy locomoco for the kids, and so I had three boys, and it was a cheat meal. And I would mix it all up for all of them, not knowing that Dean, at a very young age, did not want it mixed up. So every time he he always tells me. You see, I'm all screwed up because you mixed up my locomoco. Well, I'm a little bit different because I don't like things too mixed up. But a locomoco tastes best for me with a sunny side egg and it's such a ketchup, but everybody has their own little methodologies. And then I actually eat everything kind of separately. But most people take the locomoco and just mash into it and turn it into kind of like this mixed gravy bowl. But everybody, I've ever observed kind of has their own methodology for how they're going to attack their local moco and their runny egg and you know how they want to have it mixed in yeah this is how like this ocd we are about local mocos right and i'm not i'm very that kind of person with most other dishes but i am this way with local moco so it speaks so much i love it i, I look at it because it's always served kind of in a ovalish roundish type of concoction right it has it's constructed in, sometimes it's in a bowl too yeah it's constructed that way to be round right because it, it kind of mimics the hamburger patty so i was looking at it as like like a pie i'll cut it as i'm eating i'll cut bite-sized pieces as wedges i always save the yolk for like the last third because then you get the maximum yolk to gravy to burger right you're not you're not wasting the yolk because we break the yolk too early it kind of gets diluted with everything else but if you wait until the end like the last third and you break that yolk then you're getting um maximum yolk ratio in my head, right? So that's the way I look at it, right? Because in the beginning, I want to taste the burger and the gravy and the rice. I want to make sure that those three components are cooked well. And if I'm good, then I'll proceed on. And at the end, I know the yolks will be good because you can tell a good egg when it comes out by its jiggliness or if the whites are done, um, everything. So that's the way I approach it. And I like saving it till the last third. So I break that yolk right away, right? I want that thing running all over, but I'm going to eat the parts where the yolk runs into first because that's one of my favorite parts and I, I don't want that if I get full because this is a calorie bomb right if I get full I don't want to have not eaten the yolk when it was hot but I try to get a bit of egg a bit of beef or a bit of patty and 
rice and gravy all in one. And I've had more disappointment with Locomocos that didn't have enough gravy than those that had too much. I don't feel like you can have too much. But you get to the end and oftentimes there's, you know, so much rice and it's like, oh, I had gravy with everything else. And now I'm eating, it's like eating the pizza crust at the end. It's just like so much dissatisfaction at the end. And I think gravy and eggs, it's like Reese's peanut butter cups, right? It's chocolate and peanut butter go together. So does gravy, eggs, rice, and a burger. I don't know why, but it does. <laughs> I'm Arnold Hura, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of Locomoco. Hilo, Hawaii is a small town on the east side of the Big Island. And uh, contrary to most stereotyped views of the island, Hilo is a very rainy area. And its development was really centered around sugarcane plantations. Sugar was grown all up and down the coast of the Big Island. Consequently, the labor force that was brought in were mostly immigrants from places like Japan, the Philippines, Korea, China, Portugal, Puerto Rico. So there's a very diverse population of people that worked on and inhabited these towns all up and down the coast. When you have all these different ethnicities living together, you got Filipino, Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Portuguese, and Spanish. Those were the major immigrants that came to Hawaii starting from 1790 to the early 1900s. I believe the Koreans were the last big Asian group to come over around 1900, 1905. And you have this wave of immigrants and you have all these different things from them. When people talk about food in Hawaii, oftentimes they'll reflect on the different ethnic influences, the fact that the population here is quite diverse, Japanese, Chinese, Filipino, Portuguese, etc. But the Locomoco brings into the picture a dish that's not ethnically based in that sense. It's a local dish that everybody kind of participated in developing. In Hilo, especially because we have so many diverse cultures, you know, it's kind of a melting pot. The Locomoco kind of has this uh, interesting sort of holding of those cultures. I mean, it's kind of this ubiquitous local dish, you know, that really has no roots in any one particular culture. And I don't think you could even say it belongs to any of the immigrant cultures. So I always teach people today that local mocos are not Hawaiian. It's not Hawaiian food, but it's Hawaiian style food. It came from Hawaii, but it's not Hawaiian. Hawaiian food is very basic. Fish, poi, taro, you know, some vegetables, and that's it. Because you cannot say, oh, well, yeah, local moko is a Japanese dish, or local moko is a Filipino dish, or local moko is a Hawaiian dish. It's something that grew up here, was born here and grew up here and evolved from our multicultural community. The Hawaiians taught everyone how to share. So you took the rice from the Chinese or I say the Japanese because sticky rice came from the Japanese. Chinese rice was more the soft, not so sticky rice. So the, the Lokomoko story really begins in an area or a section of Hilo town that was, I think, largely Japanese in ethnicity and consequently i think a lot of the foods that were identified with the plantation focused on around rice because if you think about it japanese chinese filipino korean are all asian cultures that eat a lot of rice so that's kind of what one good reason why 
I think Locomoco had its start here. Where I grew up, which is Hilo, at that time it was 26,000 population. So it was pretty small and you would know just about everybody in town, especially the kids that played sports. But I always try to preface my discussion or my story around the origins of dishes. It's very, very tricky. Um, a lot of it is just oral history, people memory, people repeating stories that they've heard. And consequently, inevitably, when you tell the story of how a dish originated, there will be people with different twists and turns and different variations on, on the tale. So I, I'd like to acknowledge that right up front, that this is my best recollection of my best effort at putting together the stories that I've heard. And Lokomoko is one of those things, people are very passionate about Lokomoko in Hawaii. If you make a strong claim and you can't back it up, people will come after you hard. It starts really with the three main players, I guess, that keep coming up. One is the Lincoln Grill, another is Maid's Fountain, and the third is the Cafe 100. Those are the three kind of constants whenever the story is told. It starts with Lincoln Grill in the late 1940s. Lincoln Grill was a small, what they call local restaurant. Maybe it seated 25 to 30 people. Uh, it, it had a couple pinball machines in there, so teenagers would hang out. And uh, we knew the owners, uh, both Richard and Nancy Inouye, and they were very cordial to us. They allowed us to come in at any time and we never gave them any trouble and vice versa. They never gave us any trouble. But it was like a, a local hangout after school. Um, if we wanted a snack, a, a piece of pie or pastry or something, we'd go to Lincoln Grill. The Lincoln Grill joined a park called Lincoln Park. And there was a group of young men who for lack of another term, formed an athletic club called the Lincoln Wreckers. Oh, the Lincoln Wreckers was basically a sports organization. And the members ranged from maybe age eight, nine years old, all the way up to 50s, 60s. And um, they organized sports for the young kids, baseball, football, basketball, uh, volleyball, and uh, I couldn't tell you the exact number of members in there, probably about a couple hundred. Let's see, the Lincoln Records organization would furnish equipment and uniforms and things like that. Uh, there was no dues. We didn't have to pay any dues or anything. Uh, we had fundraisers that raised money for equipment and things like that. Close by the restaurant was a park called Lincoln Park. And uh, it had a ball field where you could play baseball or football or whatever. And uh, that's probably how the name came about, uh, Lincoln. Why they picked Wreckers, I'm not sure. But uh, it was basically because the park was there, Lincoln Park. and. Uh, most of the members were, lived close by around the park. I went there probably from about 1947 to 
51. So that's the period that I was familiar with Lincoln Grill and, and uh, the Lincoln Records organization. And they used to hang out at a little cafe called Lincoln Grill. Most of the people who hung out at Lincoln Grill were the younger people because the older records people were out working and whatever. So just as school age kids would hang out there. And being young and very active in the late 40s, they were always hungry and they never had enough money. So that was kind of what drove them to inspire the owners of the Lincoln Grill to come up with something that was economical and filling and tasty. Yeah, I think in the year about 1950, one of us, I don't know who actually uh, talked to the owners about uh, getting some kind of snack that we could afford because, you know, as teenagers, you couldn't, we couldn't afford much. So uh, we told Nancy, the owner, uh, maybe you can get a bowl of rice, put a hamburger patty on it, and just some brown and gravy over it and maybe charge 25 or 30 cents for it. And, you know, this is what we could afford. And they thought it was a good idea. So they tried it and people kept ordering it. So they put it on the menu and that's how it really originated. So it started with a bowl of rice with a hamburger patty on top, doused in brown gravy. I'm sure that type of dish was available at other restaurants, but the name Locomoco came only from Lincoln Grill. And that was dubbed the Locomoco in large part because one of the members of the athletic club was nicknamed Crazy or Loco. And so Locomoco rhymed, you know, like itty bitty, teeny weeny. He just sounded funnier and cuter and it stuck. How do we come up with the name? Several of us were taking Spanish at high school at that time. And uh, one of our friends there, his nickname was Crazy because he would do wild things on the football field. And Crazy in Spanish is local. And that's how the name came out. Moco uh, was just something we picked out of the air because it rhymed with loco. And uh, but that's how that name came out. I think uh, that individual is still alive in, in Hawaii and, and uh, his nickname was Crazy. But that's actually the origin of the name. It was easier to say loco moco and then the owners knew what we wanted. Well, that's my recollection. Yeah. You know, in small restaurants like country restaurants or whatever, a lot of times they have a billboard type of thing where they put down the uh, items for sale and whatnot. And I think they put Locomoco on the wall there. And, and uh, I think it became popular when I was there anyway, because after school we would want to eat something and we would order Locomoco. Anyway, the Locomoco becomes popular in that part of Kilo Town. There are many other small restaurants, grills, coffee shops, lunch counters spread out throughout this area. Again, largely Japanese, American by descent. They start to serve something like a Locomoco. It becomes popular in that part of town. 
And one in particular, Mays Fountain, down the street from Lincoln Grill, is credited with adding the egg on top. Yeah, the egg came later. Uh, when I was there, and, and until 1951, there was no egg put on the uh, dish. I don't know when they started, but I noticed in one of the articles that the, the owner said that later on they put an egg on and I think they charged 15 cents more or something uh, with the egg on there. So the locomoco becomes, we know of it today, with the rice, the hamburger patty, the egg on top, and gravy over everything. And again, many of the other restaurants serve a similar dish, including the Cafe 100. So the reason the Cafe 100 stands out is that it becomes the, the lone survivor because in 1960, there's a huge tsunami that damages the town of Hilo, the bayfront area of Hilo. And so restaurants like May Fountain and eventually Lincoln Grill, they all closed. Cafe 100 rebuilds and continues the Locomoco tradition through the late 60s to the present. Cafe 100 got the trademark of the Locomoco and they became the home of Locomoco till today in Hilo because they own the trademark. But they weren't originators of Locomoco. They just made it popular. Uh, they have a cheap Locomoco, like four or five dollars. The stories you hear from the Kupuna or grandparents, the Locomoco got popular in the 60s and on the big island. Cafe 100, right? One of the, the OG places. I like their super local because and the super local is uh is a double essentially a double size locomoco. So it's a double the rice, two hamburger patties, two eggs, two slices of Portuguese sausage, and a scoop of mac salad. So it's it's and it's, it's still under ten dollars, right? So and I like it because it's double egg, so you, you can have double the fun with the egg yolk. It's it's good and then. Like I said, usually I eat it as breakfast, so it, it carries me through the day. Cafe 100, it's the classic, standard, um, I'm forgetting a local local magic meal, which is their kids' meal thing. It comes with french fries, so that's why I like it, which is a lot of carbs, but it's pretty satisfying on a long, hard day. And then in high school, I went to the Big Island. And I experienced Cafe 100, which was the home of the Locomoco. And they have over 100, I guess, different types of Locomocos. They have all different kind of Locomocos nowadays, not only with hamburger patties, but they, they use a, a local fish called mahi-mahi. They put that on the rice and, and uh, bacon Locomoco. They have so many different varieties of Locomoco nowadays that uh, uh, it's hard to name all of it. So it's basically... Anything with gravy and an egg on it becomes a locomoco. I grew up outside of Hilo Town in a plantation town about five miles up the coast. So for us, these restaurants are not a daily luxury that we could go to. But when we got to high school and we could drive, we were all hanging out in Hilo Town. And by that time, the only place you could get a locomoco was Cafe 100. I really didn't, back then, we didn't know the story of Maze Fountain and Lincoln Grill and all that. We just knew a Locomoco as a Locomoco and that you would go to Cafe 100 to get one. We want to make sure that people are aware of the origin. You know, my, I, my children know about it and my grandkids know about it because we told them about it. But uh, uh, 
the name Lokomoku probably will never die out, but the origin may die out because after a while they, they're going to forget where it started. A lot of us who grew up in Hilo didn't even know that the Lokomoku was confined to, to the big island. I remember going to Oahu with a bunch of guys who were young. I think it was a basketball tournament or something like that. We went to Oahu, to Honolulu. And we went to a, a popular drive-in to get dinner. And the friend of mine in front of me in line went up to the counter and said, there was a long line of us got off the bus. And uh, the drive-in was kind of being overwhelmed by this line of customers. So the guy in front of me says, I want a locomoco. And the counter help looked at him and says, you want a what? And he said, I want a locomoco. And he said, you boy, are you getting sassy with me? Are you getting silly? We don't have no time for this. If you don't know how to order, get to the back of the line or get out of line. And he was stunned. He was just trying to order a locomoco, not realizing nobody even had heard of a locomoco. So that was when we all realized that locomoco was a Hilo dish. Yeah, that's why I uh, started writing about this in Wikipedia. And, uh, uh, you know, Hopefully they'll stay on for a long time so people can, if they ever try to refer to it, they can at least see it in Wikipedia. So the humble locomoco is now kind of a famous thing and it started here in Hilo. We, um, yeah, because when we would travel to Honolulu, we would see it at certain drive-ins and restaurants. So we, you know, we knew that it became very popular and, and traveled to the other islands. In the 80s. For me, it was kind of ubiquitous. I grew up with it. And so it never really occurred to me until actually my brother went to college in Greeley, Colorado. And he was like, there's Locomoco in the cafeteria. They don't make a good Locomoco, but they have Locomoco in the cafeteria. And this was in the 90s. And so that was like, wait, what? It's very, very interesting. And it, that's when it kind of hit me that Locomoco was expanding far beyond the Hilo boundaries, and uh, part of the reason is because really, uh, you know, really catered to a lot of Hawaii students, so there was a lot of local people in Colorado at the time going to college there, and so that was one of my first indicators that, like, Locomoco had really, like, jumped that fence and gone, you know, further out. Yeah, I don't know how many years after the original Locomoco started that we found out that other restaurants are using, were using the name Locomoco. But if you venture out into the greater like Hawaii, there's you know different incarnations for every island and every district. Uh, there's tons of variations that they have for the Locomocos. So it, it's really interesting to try those things out as well. In fact, a couple of celebrity chefs in Hawaii had versions of Locomoco. Uh, a little fancier, but... Uh, you could go to one of Hawaii's really high-end restaurants and they'll offer you a version of it, you know. They'll use a finer cut of meat. They'll use seafood, foie gras instead of hamburger and call it a locomoco. So it's it's really taken off in terms of inspiring these creations, local cuisine. My brother and I, we do, when we did the Food Network show, we did a 
to get on the show, we did, my brother does an amazing short rib local mokpo. So he'll get a short rib and he'll slow cook it for like seven, eight hours, pull it off the bone, put it on top of the rice. Then you put the egg and the gravy from that short rib on top of that. Now that's gourmet local mokpo, um, but that's really popular on our food truck. So people love that as well. We have two food trucks. We have one in uh, uh, Northern California, and then we have one here in Waikiki. So I guess it's spread quite a bit uh, to different places. I know here on the West Coast, there's many restaurants that serve local moco. You know, I think um, the franchise of L&L, Hawaiian Barbecue, has really helped promote the local moco outside of Hawaii. Um, before that, you would see it in random spots, a lot of um, private places, um, mom and pops of you know, um, people who left Hawaii to go live somewhere else on the mainland, and they would open a restaurant, and there would be local on the menu. But it wouldn't be, I think L&L did a lot to mainstream it, especially on the West Coast, you know, outside of Hawaii. You can go to Japan and order a local moko in some parts of Japan. A lot of people are now doing it in different parts of the world. The Japanese love it so much, they have restaurants in Japan that feature the local moko. Jason and I both go to Japan often. I, I go every year. Jason goes often as well. And, you know, every once in a while, I'll dip my head into a Hawaiian-style cafe or a Hawaii restaurant, and there's always local moko on the menu. And so even for Japanese people, they recognize that word. You know, um, the two most popular things to eat at a Hawaiian-style restaurant in Japan are going to be Hawaiian-style pancakes and a local moko. And a bowl is a close third, you know. So, yeah, but local moko is definitely in the conversation. But I definitely think social media like Instagram or Facebook, those things have definitely propelled that to a much higher loft than it was ever before. And I think that's why people have flocked to it or have made it cool, you know, especially Instagram and Facebook. They've made it super cool because it's unique. You know, we just took it as just our thing that we ate. We didn't think of it as anything more than that, just the thing that you ate. And so that's kind of, in a nutshell, the evolution or the movement of the local moko from a local dish that spread through town, that survived the tsunami and continued on to today and became popular beyond Hilo, became popular statewide and eventually, like today, local moko is popular in places as far away as Japan, the U.S. West Coast and other places throughout the world, actually. I'm Jason Chin, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of Lokomoko. There's a place out in Waianae. You know, not a lot of people get out that size. It's a kind of remote part of the island, but we go out there from for some family business and things, and there's a restaurant there called Hanada. It was um, Korean food, and breakfast food, diner food, Hawaiian food, kind of a little bit of everything. But they had a local moko on the menu. They had a hamburger steak on the menu. And then they also had what they called a hamburger steak with egg, which is essentially a double local moko. So you get two patties, two eggs, maybe it was three eggs. Um, and why not? That three eggs yeah. would make sense, yeah. And gravy all over everything, a scoop of macaroni salad. And back in my teens and my 20s, like I could pound that whole thing and probably eat some of my mom's pancakes and now i wouldn't even think to order it because it's, it, it was delicious yeah. but so much food so i think when we were in high school it was like 75 cents a buck maybe and uh 
he was just the right size. He he wasn't too small. He wasn't too big. He was like a, a medium size for a teenage boy. You know, something that would tide you over till dinner. If we had eaten lunch and we're still a little hungry and we wanted seconds or something, instead we'd go get a local because it was filling but not too filling. Tasty, fast, cheap. I can tell you that I ate it a lot in high school, which is in the 80s. You know, a lot of it was late night eating, right? It's a very, it's, it's a high calorie bomb. And you eat it when you're a teenager, you just want that, that big value-driven calorie bomb and you, you go somewhere and you get that and you're eating it at like one in the morning. It's comfort food for sure. It's one of those things that's high in sodium and salt. It's probably not the healthiest thing in the world for you to eat. And that's why it's comfort food for us. If you've ever been to Hawaii, you'll, you'll quickly realize people in Hawaii love to eat carbs with carbs. On carbs. Yeah, with, with gravy on top and a side of carbs. I have a nonprofit and it's called Hawaii Healthy Me. And what I was doing for the past seven years, I think, I got tasked by the mayor at that time of Mayor Billy Kanoi. He said, you know, the Big Island has one of the most unhealthiest people here. We have the highest number of diabetes, we have uh, obesity and all of this. So I wrote this book and I gave it to fourth graders, every fourth grade on the island, about trying to change their eating habits. And of course, Lokomoko is in the book. And what it is, is a little picture of locomoco and saying if you're going to eat a locomoco how would you make it healthy so i wanted the kids to think about that they should order a side green salad or something because we talk about eating the colors of the rainbow and in a locomoco it's pretty much white brown and maybe a touch of yellow and that's it so how do you add the other colors of the rainbow and uh, you know like green and red so I made the thing kids think about, okay, I can eat a local moco occasionally, but I need to also add a green salad. So it's just one of the pages I have in the book about making them think about eating healthy. I do a turkey burger that has uh, teriyaki sauce in it. So the turkey burger tastes like a terry burger, and I put eggs on top of that. My kids don't even know that it's not hamburger. So... I've done it a few different ways. Is it wrong? Of course not. It's whatever turns you on is the way that you should do it. If you want to have a traditional one, then you make it traditional and you put over easy eggs on it. But it doesn't matter. We're not going to give you a demerit for it. (laughs) When Jason and I pitched the article to the associate editor at Frolic, we didn't know what a Pandora's box we were going to open. We wrote it and it was a passion piece that we wrote because we both love Moco Moco. We put it up and just... Everyone came out of the work all over on the internet to chime in on their opinions, on if they agreed or disagreed, on on where their favorite places were, and you know, did we go to place X, Y, or Z? It went viral in like just a couple hours. It was it was ridiculous. It's one of their most engaging articles, like in the entire you know history of frolic. Yeah, it's and it's crazy. Before we even started having conversations and like going out and eating at more places. We pretty much set down that we're going to kind of take a little bit of a scientific approach where we're going to we're going to have certain things, categories that we're going to look at, you know, look at each component. Right. Also look at how things come together and then also kind of discuss what what we look for in our ideal locomoco. Right. And then, you know, what are the deal breakers? What things are forgivable? Yeah. And other people have other criteria, but since we were the ones writing the article, it was going to be our criteria and our standard, our lists. 
Again, we, ne- we never make any claims that it's a definitive top five, but that was our top five. So I want to preface it with this. It's been three and a half three, years. Three and a half years since that's come out. In that time, one of those places has closed. A long-time family-owned restaurant, and they were already struggling before the pandemic, and the and, pandemic yeah. was a nail in the coffin. Yeah, they couldn't survive the early stages of the yeah. pandemic. They, they were not a place that was primed for takeout, and that's not what people did. They tried, but it just it hurt, you know. So with that and other feedback that we've gotten, because this, you know, as we said, the article gets so much traction, uh, we were asked to to redo the list. So it's in it's still a work in progress, but we've been eating at some of these places that we've been pointed to, and we've gone back to eat again at some of the places that were on the original list, you know. So there there's some revision, but I guess maybe we can focus on. The original list. Yeah, we don't have uh, a list that we could disclose. A new list. We can only go off the old list. Yeah, no spoilers. It's like a Marvel movie. We ha- we can't offer any spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and no Easter eggs either. There's, there's no no, no post credit <laughs> no, Easter egg. No. But to be clear, also when we generated the list, we said we're not going to these places that are building themselves on a corned beef hash loco moco or a prime rib or a fried rice or a demi glace gravy. You know, anyone trying to deviate from Old school, straight ahead, locomoco, rice, hamburger patty, egg, gravy, brown gravy. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, the, the list gets too big. It gets too unwieldy. And then you start to split ha- too many hairs. And so we wanted to keep it to one basic dish. Yeah. Too many variables. And then it becomes unfair comparison. Number five is a Pine Tree Cafe, Pine Tree Cafe. In, uh, in Kona. Yeah. It's about two, three miles outside an airport. Uh, heading south out of Kailua Kona Airport, uh, Kona Airport. That was one of my personal favorites outside of Oahu because they have a really dark gravy. And that's what really stands out for that one. A really dark gravy that I really like. And they're very generous with the gravy. You know, they have you have your standard box lunch and they fill it up. They don't even hesitate to fill up that lunch box with gravy and rice. And, and then the, the burger is what made it put out a five though. Is the burger is a little firm. It can sometimes it can be inconsistent, a little overcooked sometimes because you know they get pretty busy. But the rice is cooked well, the gravy is very good, the burger is a little little on the firm side, and the eggs always cooked well, right? So, but what made it number five? I made it on the list to me is that gravy. It's, it's very, very, very thick. Very it, it coats your it coats your palate um, with every bite. At number four, we've got Cafe One Hundred in Hilo, and you know as the article says, it's you know it's humble and it's really true to the origins you know it's, it's kind of the og you know as a lot of people people say and it's it's not a big one it's not a huge portion but at 350 at the time we'd written the article at 350 for a local moko i mean you can't beat that for for cheap and filling and satisfying it's a nice balance of everything that patty's got you know really nice crust and good crags in it to to suck up some of those little greasy bits that make a good patty and they're they're consistent all the time. You always you always know what you're gonna get. And on a trip, we had to feed a whole bunch of people. And we had called in to Cafe 100 the day before to give them a heads up that you know we needed you know dozens of these. And they delivered, and they were solid. And you can go back over and over and again, and you'll always get something great. Number three, we got the original Pancake House in Kalihi. So at last report, Greg Greg went to check this out. And um, it seems that you can't order it. So this is one of those places. It's not on the menu, but you're able to order it. Um, I don't know if they just don't have the hamburger steak or, you know, you know what the circumstances are. But 
But the, yeah. the day that we went, it was, we were surprised because we would check, we would check it out. We thought, well, it's a, it's a breakfast place. They should have it. We didn't see it on the menu. And we asked the uh, the server if they could make a local moco because we, we saw that they had hamburger steak on the menu with gravy. And I said, yeah, yeah, we can we can make that for you. And so they made it. And we were surprised at how good it was because for not having something on the menu, it was really, really good. Um, you know, it was a light gravy. Again, the rice was cooked well. Everything was done to a good level. I mean, everything was consistent. And, you know, so texturally, you want everything to be kind of the same, right? The rice and the burger. You want it to be kind of textually complementary. So you can't have the burger too well done. You can't have the rice too overcooked and too mushy. Everything has to be kind of within the same spectrum. And that's what makes a good local moko to me. And th- this definitely ticked the boxes on that. And that's why that's why I made our number three. It was the patty for me that, that kind of pushed this one over Cafe 100. But just slightly, we're, we're talking like really fine details, you know, differences between a lot of these places. Yeah, it was, so, so this stuff is like, well, we had, we went back and forth um, and we really had to like nitpick as far as why one would be better than the other. So number two, this is like, I'm passionate about this one. So my, part of my family is from Maui. So this pick is from Maui, from um, Wailuku. And it's Tasty Crust. It's a little family diner, mostly known for breakfast, but it's one of those places that's open crazy late and you can pop in anytime and get anything off the menu breakfast for dinner whatever breakfast at 10 o'clock at night you totally can get it and you can get this is one of those you, you get the local moco in two sizes so the lunch and dinner price and then there's the, the breakfast one and it, there's a sizable difference you are getting a little bit more but you can get the breakfast one any time of day it's more classic diner burger it's not real thick it's not real heavy they're not trying to do anything fancy the eggs and rice are, are solid as it should be and yeah it's a really great iteration of this and number two we did have a tie greg and i had both eaten at both places and it was hard to decide between the two what was better than another it wasn't one component that stood out more so leaky leaky drive-in now closed you know so sad uh that that family you know held this multiple generations have, have held this together i know the family personally their two kids were my students so I, I tried to remove as much bias as I could from, from this decision. But yeah, it was really the patty that pushed this over some, some of the other ones and put it in, in a tie with the Tasty Crust for me. And I think when we got to these top three, that there, w- there was a clear jump in quality with the patty that separated second from, from third. Yeah, everything was pretty close, right? The difference being number one was very much number one. There was no question what number one was. Uh, we, there was no contest. There was no question. There was no argument. It was number one. And even when um, Frala Kauai put out a reader's poll on Top Local Moko, it still came out where, where we didn't involve ourselves at all. We just took um, comments and votes on our online poll. The number one was still the same um, place, which was Liliha Bakery. So it's a universal consensus in Hawaii that Liliha Bakery has the best local moko uh, from the majority of, of readers and, and ourselves. Uh, and, you know, we, we went into various reasons why it's good, right? Um, you know, the, the burger is done on a, on a flame grill. Uh, so there's a nice crust. There's some nice edges, crispy edges to it. So you get a lot of that little bit of umami bombs in the burger. The gravy is just a, a unapologetic brown gravy that they keep reloading into a stock pot and reheating. And, you know, the, the best time of day is when that stock pot is nice and bubbly. And so you get a nice hot gravy on that burger. And get it all that rice and then on an egg. Uh, and everything everything comes together really well. The, the textural component, 
to me, is the best. You get the, the, the best bite. You're not working too hard to eat something at 7 in the morning. If you're going to take it as a breakfast dish, you don't want to work too hard to eat something. You just want it to go down nice and easy. And the gravy and the softness of the burger and the rice, everything goes down really easy. There's no, no work involved. Yeah, if you're using a knife on this, you're doing it wrong. And if yeah. they need to bring you a knife to get through that patty, they're doing it wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I can go back again and again and again for it. And it's always so satisfying and always just reinforces that, yeah, this is this is the best one. For me, a last note on the Locomoco for Leah Bakery. I want to find that place that beats this one. I've been looking hard on, on all islands for a place that will beat this one. And it's, yeah, it, it's hard to top. For me personally, why I like this place. No one comes better than this. Yeah. And it's fun to do, but it's it's a bear to put down. Because we're, we're yeah. going to like sometimes over 20 places to try. Just to get a, you know, a good wide breadth of what's out there and what, what the different differentiating points are and what place. Yeah. Consistency says a lot too. There's places where I've gone where I'm like, oh, this is really good. And then I'll go again like another month later and it's like, it's not good at all. So it's it's consistency plays a factor into this as well. And I don't think that was mentioned in the article, but you know, um, there's been places where one component just wasn't very good, and the other three were good. But because one component wasn't good, it, it didn't it didn't cut the top five. You know, uh, in Hawaii, high school uh, alumni are very close or very tight. I graduated in 1951, which is almost 70 years ago. And uh, for the past oh, 30 years or so, we would meet in Las Vegas in October. And at way back when we first started, there were over 200 alumni that came to these reunions. And the Lincoln Record Group hosted the reunions who would supply refreshments in the hospitality room and whatnot. And up to two years ago, we met, we still met in Las Vegas. Uh, we canceled the last two years because of the pandemic. But uh, otherwise, you know, uh, we would gather in Las Vegas. And, and as I said, the Lincoln Records members of my class, class of 1951, which originally started about 17, 18 uh, people. Uh, we're down to four or five now, but we still host some event there in Las Vegas. We started a dish, as I said, but other restaurants may have had similar type of uh, dishes. But I, the only thing that I think we really should give credit to the Rutgers organization is the name Locomoco. Uh, and I know uh, uh, being there at that time, I know that that's an accurate description to say that the name came from Lincoln Grill. And uh, that's the only claim to fame that the Lincoln Rutgers organization has is the, the naming of that dish. So. And that is the local fairy tale of Locomoco. More information about the Locomoco Telltellers and Locomoco, including supplemental info provided by Ha Bakery and Cafe 100, can be found at Local Fairy, F-A-R-E-Y, Tales, T 
T-A-L-E-S dot com. And be sure to follow Local Fairy Tales Podcast on Facebook and Instagram to share your tales about Locomoco or other local fair. And if you don't know much about your local fair, ask. There are tale tellers everywhere. Gravy covered layers of gratitude to Jason Chin, Arnold Hiora, Greg Hashida, Dean Shigeoka, Lanai Tabura, George Takahashi, and Audrey Wilson for sharing their time and Lokomoko knowledge. Concept, production, and editing by me, Nora Vetter. Music by Anisha Thomas. And artwork by Jonathan Reich. More local fairy tales are coming soon, so be sure to subscribe on your favorite place to listen to podcasts.